Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with my co-host, Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. Two guests on this edition. First, we're going to hear from Gene Kirshner. He's the horse racing columnist for the Buffalo News, and he's going to preview the 149th running of the Kentucky Derby, which takes place Saturday at 6.57 p.m. How's that for a precise time for you? And then we're going to be joined by Channel 4 Sports Director Josh Reed to talk about this, that, and the other, but particularly the Bills draft class and the ups and downs, the yin, the yang, the positives, the negatives. Um, the Bills draft class, I think, uh, Jonah, there have been some – Things that have happened that weren't really draft picks that I think are uh, players that we need to consider as part of this draft weekend. They made a couple of signings uh, of players uh, at positions that they didn't draft. Uh, Latavius Murray, uh, running back, and Puna Ford, the defensive tackle. Brandon Bean had said that he wanted a defensive tackle in the draft. Uh, just didn't have the ability to take one that he was comfortable with. So they get back on the phones and talk to Puna Ford, get him signed to anchor that uh, defensive front. And we learned uh, that Brandon Bean had actually been talking to Latavius Murray during the draft and came to an agreement with his camp that they would not draft another running back if they had him uh, committed. And so that way it would clear a path, I think, for Latavius Murray to have a better chance to stick on the team and also afford Brandon Bean to look at other positions and he wouldn't have to worry about drafting a running back. So I just wanted to mention those two signings, uh, Joni, which uh, you mentioned before we hit the record button here about how how these are important players or could be um, for the upcoming season not to be overlooked. Well, when we talk to Josh Reed later, we're going to get into the draft analysis all three of us. But my general opinion, I, you know, going into the draft, I think it gets overcovered. The, the media coverage of the draft, it's become a, you know, a beast unto itself more so than and the impact on the NFL, the coming NFL season. And then the post-draft analysis, I think, always focuses a bit too much on how these players fit the current roster, the current depth chart, and projections on whether Dalton Kincaid or Osiris Torrance are going to help the Bills win the Super Bowl this coming year or plug holes in the roster this coming year. And that usually doesn't happen with rookies. It happens more often with first-round picks than the later-round picks, and it doesn't happen very often at all with players drafted outside the first round. And if you look at the Bills' draft class last year, nobody became a full-time starter as a rookie, and the, you know, the snap count percentages were low for a lot of the players, even though they have promising futures they didn't have big time impacts on what the bills did last year. And that could be the case with this draft class again, or they could get a little more impact, but you're not going to get dynamite rookies. I think being their full potential as players right away, free agent signings like Latavius Murray and Puna Ford might not be huge dynamic impact players, but they're being brought in on one year deals to help this team right now. And you can see that the bills made a choice when it got into the middle and late rounds of the draft that they'd rather sign these veteran players on one-year deals then invest draft picks in players who have longer contracts and you're kind of committed to them. And I think Puna Ford's a very interesting signing because he's a good player that seems like he'd be too good to still be available on the free agent market and still available for 
something near a minimum salary. He's 27 years old, and the Bills have no defensive tackles under contract beyond this season. But he's a guy that if he comes in and helps the run defense and fits in as either the starting nose tackle or maybe a rotational defensive tackle piece, he could get re-signed on a bigger, longer-term contract. And I think you can put another signing, Taylor Rapp, in that same boat as a guy who they got um, very cheap, and, and it's an excellent signing for this coming season, and might be a guy who becomes a long-term solution at the position, probably on a bigger contract, but getting him in there now on this kind of bridge deal could put the Bills in a good position to add to the talent base and you know build out this roster in the future. Excellent point. You mentioned rap, and uh, we had discussed it a couple of weeks back uh, when we were um, pretty much shooting holes in the DeAndre Hopkins acquisition um, narrative that's out there. But uh, the Bills are signing these smaller deals because they didn't want to lose out on the third-round pick that they're going to get for Tremaine Edmonds and losing him, the compensatory pick and the formula in which – uh, teams uh, don't quite know exactly how it works uh, because the formula has some mystery to it, but belief steadfast uh, uh, Brandon Bean is, is that uh, they couldn't afford to uh, spend long-term money, go years, go to uh, spend too much and, and lose that third round pick. So with every one of these moves that have been made, I'm talking about, you know, before the draft, but you know, also these Murray and, and uh, Ford, Uh, There's been an eye towards um, economy uh, and wondering, is this a player that I would trade a third round pick for? And in almost every case, the answer would be no uh, in all the different free agent acquisitions that the Bills uh, have made. So they've been very careful to protect that third round pick that they think they're going to get. And um, but I I agree. I I think that uh, that rap is a long term bill. Uh, unless he has a total change of heart, but he sees what this defense does uh, and what safeties are able to do in in uh, Sean McDermott's defense. It has made both Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer decorated players in the NFL, and um, they're uh, that's something that has has caught his attention, and it's why he wanted to join the Bills, and he's willing to do it on a short term contract. And I think uh, that. Barring, you know, him hating Western New York or having a bad, you know, uh, bad circumstance arise of some kind that this is a place that uh, he would make his home. And, you you know, Ford is is another great example. You mentioned his age at 27. Uh, That's uh, he comes from an organization, too, that really values interior defensive linemen. Pete Carroll has. Uh, has had a lot of really good ones over the years. Uh, he has an eye for talent. Now he's a free agent and he was able to leave uh, Seattle. And I think that um, he probably thought that he was going to make more money on the market than he did. And Brandon Bean mentioned that when he was asked, how do you look at these players, uh, these veterans who are still out there? Uh, yes, they're available, but there's a reason they're available. Are they good enough? And Brandon Bean explained that there are a lot of veterans that are still out there on the market because they were given a chance to test it, to see what they're worth, didn't get what they thought they were going to be, what they were uh, thought they were going to be able to. And so they're still available out there and they're willing to reconsider other options based on 
not only the contract, but what's my opportunity to play, to start, to win championship. You know, there's all kinds of things that go into a decision when you're, you, uh, things didn't go, uh, as it, as you thought, and you were just going to cash that big paycheck. So if you have a bunch of teams that are out there offering you less than you felt you were worth, then that's when you start looking at the best location. And so Puna Ford coming to the bills, uh, could be that door, uh, that opens. And, uh, he, he finds that, uh, that this is a place he wants to be. And there'll um, be other waves potentially like that it, when teams make cuts at the end of training camp and, you know, other players, veteran players that could show up on waivers or, or the trade market during the season where they will be veteran players brought in specifically to fill holes and help the team now, whereas the draft is more of a long-term talent acquisition building process and developing the, the players you've drafted previously and other young players and things like that. I just thought it was interesting you mentioned the compensatory pick because you kind of see that circle of life a little bit with the Bills using a third-round pick on a linebacker the past two years and getting another third-round pick coming to them for a linebacker that they drafted in the first round. And when Tremaine Edmonds signed with Chicago and was priced out of being a Buffalo Bill, there was a lot of speculation about what free agent the Bills might sign to immediately replace him and what uh, first-round draft pick they might take to immediately replace him at middle linebacker. And I think you're seeing how the geometry changes with Matt Milano, who was a later round draft pick, but now on an all pro contract extension and the bills have to invest less salary cap dollars and less assets into that other every down linebacker. And they have a lot of different options and it's just going to look a little bit different. It's different ways of roster building and team building, but ultimately, you know, every player on that 53 man roster kind of matters a little bit towards potentially getting to the Super Bowl. You have Josh Allen about to start his quarter of a billion contract extension and the bills, as you mentioned, Matt Milano um, has received a big commitment financially. Do the bills want to invest even more money into the linebacker position when they have to spread it around? Can they afford to um, just sink a bunch more money into a replacement for Tremaine Edmonds because it seems like the glaring hole. Well, obviously not. And I think that that played into the decision not to draft a linebacker in the first round. Number one, I'm not sure that they had a first round grade on a linebacker that they thought would even be available in their neck of the woods at 27, which was their original pick. Of course, they traded up to 25 to get uh, Dalton Kincaid, but linebacker is just a position that you don't want to uh, I, I think sink uh, just additional funds into. And if you draft a linebacker in the first round, that's a contract. You want the player to work. And then when it comes time to resign this player, now you've, you have Milano, maybe your hope, maybe Milano's aging out at that time. I don't know, but I, I think that it was a little short-sighted with some of the analysis about the bills going after a linebacker in the first round uh, to not understand that there's a holistic aspect to the defense. And and I wrote about it, and there are some clues all throughout that piece that I wrote about the Bills thinking that they're going to be better on defense with the players they already have because they're coming off of injuries. They're all going to be playing together. Micah Hyde's going to be back. Tremaine or uh, Tredavious White is going to start the season with the healthy knee. Uh, you're going to have two rookie cornerbacks who are going to be a year better. Um Jordan Poyer's back, and you can probably assume that he's not going to suffer a collapsed lung again. 
Uh, yes, he's a player who gets banged up because of the way he plays, but some of the injuries were, or at least the, the rib injury is something that you don't expect. Um, and then they go out and get wrapped. And so I think that when they look at it from, again, using the phrase holistic standpoint, they say Terrell Dodson is going to be perhaps good enough uh, to fill in on this role. And then they bring back the the backup. Uh, A.J. Klein is back in there. Obviously, there's a uh, a big drop from Tremaine Edmonds to A.J. Klein. But the Bills survived with A.J. Klein filling in for Tremaine Edmonds at times. Uh, and I think that they just look at it as we got to save money somewhere. We got to pay this quarterback. We got to pay weapons. We got to pay linemen to protect our our asset at quarterback. We just can't afford to spend the money wherever somebody identifies a hole. Um, we have to be smart. And I think that that's what they're doing. I think they're trying to do this economically, prudently. And, uh, and the draft, uh, the way the draft fell, I think, shows that. Because Dorian Williams, um, he's going to start on the outside. Uh, he's not a Tremaine Edmonds replacement. Uh, it's going to be a long-term uh, process. I mean, it sounds like he's a project. Brandon Bean talked about just him getting a jersey on Sundays, uh, not necessarily playing linebacker, but special teams. And so, anyways, uh, we're going to talk more about that with uh, Josh Reed later. Um, and and wait, if I could just make one more point, because yeah. the, the things we say about the linebackers that we're both saying here could be flipped around and said a lot about tight ends as well with the Bills having Dalton Knox on a second contract and, and a high-paid tight end. I think he's in, you know, in the top eight among the NFL, top quartile of the league. And using a first and a fourth-round pick to select another tight end who looks like an excellent player in exactly what this offense is needed. And it's, it's funny because I don't think a lot of people mock the tight end to the Bills, but Brandon Bean's been saying for a, telling us for a long time with his actions how much they've wanted this type of player, citing Tyler Croft, citing O.J. Howard, the rumored flirtations with Zach Ertz and uh, you know, Greg Olson when he was, you know, possibly coming out of retirement. They've wanted that type of, yeah, exactly. Rob Gronkowski. They've wanted that type of very good receiving tight end to pair with Dawson Knox and be able to play these 12 personnel sets. However, if you look at the numbers, most teams don't play two tight ends any more than 30% of the time. I think the Dolphins led the league last year, something around 60% of the time, but they never really threw to the second tight end. So it's not, uh, you know, they're not going to have two tight ends on the field all of the time. So it's just an interesting allocation of salary cap dollars. I feel Dalton Kincaid eventually has to be a number one tight end and put up number one tight end production to be worth that first round pick investment. And then what questions does that raise about Dalton Knox production and his contract value and going forward in the long term, how much the Bills can invest uh, on two players at that position? Yeah, I think if Dawson Knox... uh keeps dropping the ball, uh, maybe uh, this is his his off-ramp uh, from the Bills, is Dalton Kincaid. But uh, I'm intrigued with what Brandon Bean has had to say regarding uh, Dalton Kincaid in the slot. Obviously not a traditional slot receiver by any stretch, but if he's able to fill that role and stay on the field at the same time with Dawson Knox, it could create uh, all kinds of different uh, opportunities, a chance for uh, Ken Dorsey to get uh, get creative, um, be resourceful with what he has. Uh, let's see what uh, what Ken Dorsey does. But um, let's talk to Gene Kirshner. Jonah, I know you want to excuse yourself here from this segment. Um, I got to go to work. And uh, be back a little bit later to talk with Josh Reed. But 
Uh, after this break, we're going to have Gene Kirshner to talk about the Kentucky Derby Saturday. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach that takes on each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills to provide creative solutions for their clients. Based right here in Western New York, CTBK is a champion for your business and our community. Additionally, CTBK goes beyond tax and attest services by offering a wide array of consulting and outsourced solutions tailored to meet the unique needs of your business, allowing you to focus on your operational and long-term strategic goals. Whether you're a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, the team at CTBK is determined to help you succeed. Visit ctbk.com or call 716-630-2400, 716-630-2400 to learn how CTBK's one-team approach can work for you. Welcome to the Kentucky Derby edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic here with The K from CTBK, Gene Kirshner with his annual preview of the Kentucky Derby. This is going to be the 149th run for the Roses Saturday with a start time of 6.57 p.m. It is the fastest two minutes in sports. Uh, so that's why it starts at 657 uh, and it'll get you uh, right to the top of the hour. Gene, uh, how have you been cramming for this race? Uh, it is an interesting one and um, I'm looking forward to it. Well, what are your, how you've been approaching this? Well, you know, you have to do your homework on the uh, Kentucky Derby with 20 horses that are in the race and three also eligible. So as we found out last year, if you don't spend some time even looking at the also eligibles and if a horse sneaks in the race on right. Friday, uh, he can actually win the race at 80 to one or uh, some crazy odds. Uh, I don't see it happening this year, but nobody saw it coming last year, uh, which was fun. And Rich Strike, uh, who did that, is actually uh, running on the undercard uh on derby day so we'll get to see him as well as the kentucky oaks winner from last year's secret oath who uh trained uh by d wayne lucas uh who will also run on uh, on saturday some interesting wrinkles with the trainers this year you mentioned d wayne lucas there uh bob baffert uh is in this race by extension only uh because of his suspension but this would appear to be Todd Pletcher's race to lose because he has three talented horses in this race. Uh, Forte is the early favorite. Tappet Trice is the second favorite. And then Kings Barnes is the fourth favorite right now and is undefeated. So the worst of his horses has never lost. Uh, and they had good draws on the posts. Um, Forte is at the 15th, which might be a little far out, but still, at least it's not on the rail. Uh, Tappet Trice is in the fifth spot. And then, uh, Kings Barnes is right next to him at the sixth post. So it would seem as though Pletcher is in really good position to win this race. Of course, there are 17 other horses in it. Uh, so be having, having great shot to win it doesn't mean you're necessarily mathematically guaranteed anything. True. Uh, yeah, Pletcher's, he's loaded. He's got three really good horses. Anytime you've got three out of the top four on the morning line, uh, that's saying something. And uh, he is a trainer that just knows how to get horses to the derby. He's coming into the race 
with the most starters uh, in history with 62 starters over time. He's won the race twice. And you may say that, well, that, that percentage isn't very good, but it's just so hard to get there in the first place and to have that many uh, horses that have qualified over the years. Uh, so he has the favorite. He, he, the last time he won was uh, 2017 with Always Dreaming, and that was the favorite that year. Um, and he won with that horse. Uh, interesting combination of the owners of the of Forte, the favorite. Uh, Mike Rapoli of uh, Vitamin Water fame. That's uh, where he made his money. Uh, he'll run in the silks of the New York Mets. He's a big Mets fan. So you'll see the orange and blue. Uh, on Forte. And then his other owner is Vinny Viola, who owns the Florida Panthers, who uh, now moved into the uh, the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So it's a big sports, uh, you know, combination there um, in, in the ownership group there. Uh, the other two horses in the, uh, are actually next to each other in the post, as you mentioned, fifth uh, in the post five and six, Tappet Trice and uh, Kings Barnes. Uh, I kind of like Tappet Trice in the Belmont. Because he's a tappet. Tappet horses have uh, done well over the last seven or eight years uh, at the long in the longer distance, you know, mile and a half at at Belmont. Uh, so looking for him maybe down the road, but you know he could he could certainly you know he's obviously got the stamina and pedigree to uh, to handle the mile and a quarter distance uh, of the Derby. Kings Barn lightly raced uh, Colt uh, out of Uncle Mo. Uh, Uncle Mo was a, ironically uh, was a Rapoli horse uh, back in the day, uh, who was going to be the Derby favorite uh, in 2011, and then he, he uh, had an injury during Derby Week and uh, had to scratch out of the race. Uh, so he he again uh, is a is a is a horse that can handle the mile and a quarter, and his dam is by Tappet. So you're just kind of hearing the same names over and over again that uh, you know the pedigree is so important, especially at this. Uh, at the mile and a quarter distance, which is the first time these horses will ever run that distance. I want to ask you about Forte's uh, pedigree because it is not illustrious. And his uh, father being violence with almost zero uh, record to speak of, um, retired early in his career. When you're handicapping uh, a race like this with the elite horses um, all together, or theoretically speaking anyway, um, sometimes you miss out on one or one doesn't make it for an injury or whatever. Um, but when you're talking about the race of all races, how much do you weigh pedigree, uh, when it comes to, uh, making your picks in this race more than any other, only because of it's, it's a distance they've never run before, um, being a mile, a mile, mile and a quarter. Again, the Belmont is another one, but in the Belmont, they slow it down early sometimes, so it it ends up being more of a mile and a quarter, mile and eighth race because the first you know half mile, three quarters of a mile, they're they're really not going as fast. Whereas in the Derby, you typically typically get a pretty good pace to start the race, so you've got to be able to you know keep it up if you're going to be uh, you know up and near the lead, uh, depending on how fast the fractions are early on. Uh, the one thing I do look at is at least one side of the pedigree has some a horse that can go the distance. So on Forte's side, uh, on the dam side, uh, Blame uh, is the dam sire, and he won the Breeders' Cup Classic at a mile and a quarter, uh, beating Zanyata, uh, holding off Zanyata by, by a hair uh, at Churchill Downs. Um, so I look at that. Violence, you know, was, like you said, was more of a, sprinter type miler type 
um, got hurt on the Triple Crown Trail early. Uh, he looked very promising uh, during his uh, his time on the on the trail, uh, but got injured and and basically retired at that point. So, but he was a fast horse. So, if you can mix that speed with stamina, you know, I, I wouldn't throw Forte out for for the fact that violence is the uh, is the uh, sire on, on on this horse, and he's got Irad in the in the irons, who's you know probably the best jockey in the world right now. Uh, or at least, at least on this continent, uh, and uh, you know, I I think that combination Fletcher or you know Ortiz Jr. That's that's a dangerous combination, and with the gate no long with, with now the the starting gate being one gate as opposed to uh, gates one through fourteen, and then having an auxiliary gate between fifteen and twenty, a lot of horses that were in that fourteen fifteen spot, there was an opening between them, and it caused collisions. Uh, I know. I remember one year I picked Mendelssohn to win, and he he was coming out of fourteen, and he just got wiped out at the start. Finished dead last. You know, it's always good when your top pick, you know, finishes dead last. But <laughs> it happened. Uh, and and the, in this race, you know, crazy stuff can happen. You know, with the with the traffic issues, and uh, you know, if a, if a horse has to stop in a race like this and has to check and, and move out, it could be, it means that he's probably not, not going to get there. We talked about Kings Barnes. I just want to make one more point. Uh, he is undefeated, uh, but here's an interesting statistic. Uh, let me spit this out again. Let me try again. Let me rewind. An interesting statistic, which you shouldn't say three times fast, is that this is the 35th undefeated horse to enter the Kentucky Derby. There have only been nine of them that have won. So just because the track record heading into uh, this race is unblemished, uh, is no guarantee of anything, and which is probably why Kings Barnes is uh, not among the top three favorites. Um, but your thoughts on on Kings Barnes? Oh, and yeah, by the way, Jose Ortiz, who's his jockey, has has had seven mounts in the Derby and has never won either. Yeah, that's true. But he'll he's due. He'll he'll win one of these days. Uh, I just don't think it's going to be on Kings Kings Barnes. Um, the only horse that's that's won with only three races and all in the in their current you know current year uh racing is justify who won the triple crown which was was a feat that was almost you know incredible that uh didn't have a didn't race during his two-year-old season and came in and won the triple crown so what what they're asking him to do is you know would be historical uh should he win the race uh, so you know he hasn't seen the traffic that he's going to see you know, in a, in a race like this, he's a forwardly placed horse, so he's never really gotten dirt in his face uh, in, in any race. So those are the things that kind of work work against a horse like that. Um, but, you know, he's got the pedigree to do it. It wouldn't surprise me if he, if he did win because uh, he's talented. Uh, he won the Louisiana Derby very impressively, um, you know, and, and Fletcher knows how to get him to the track. That's that's for sure. Um but if if he doesn't uh, if he doesn't win, we probably won't see him in the Preakness because Fletcher doesn't like to run him back unless he's got the winner, uh, and he likes to just you know, bring him back either in the uh, in the Belmont or get him ready just for Saratoga uh, in the Travers. The most successful jockey in this uh, running is uh, John Velazquez. He's won the Kentucky Derby three times, and there is a backstory with him and his horse reincarnate. And that's the Bob Baffert uh, Association. Can you give a quick overview on the uh, on how Reincarnate uh, is in this race uh, as a 
asterisk Bob Baffert horse. Yeah, so he was transferred from the Baffert Barn after his uh, win in the Sham out at Santa Anita. So he won won that uh, out of the Baffert Barn, but because uh, Bob was uh, has been uh, banned from Churchill Downs for two years, and any horses running under his name uh, cannot earn any points during the Derby uh, prep races. He didn't earn any points for that Sham win, even though it was a Derby qualifying race. So. Um, his owners obviously made the switch uh, from him to Tim Yakteen, who works has worked closely uh, with Bob over the years uh, in the California uh, racing circuit. And uh, he got transferred to the Yakteen barn. Uh, and Tim actually has a good horse in the race that's of his own. Uh, so he's, he's a very good trainer. Uh, he's got practical move who's in the 10 spot. Uh, so he, he's got uh, Johnny V on, on the horse hall of famer uh, has won it a couple times. Um, he stole the race a couple times, just, you know, on the, he stole the race with all, uh, always dreaming. He's stole the race with, uh, uh, authentic a couple of years ago for bath Baffert. So where you got to be careful with him is he, he, you know, he's going to probably go with this horse, you know, he'll, he should be out, you know, early in the lead and see if he can control it. Cause there isn't a lot of speed in the race. So if he can c- control things early, the way Johnny V can, you know, who knows what can happen? He's had a good magic who finished uh, second in the Derby in his year. Uh, so uh, a good, a good horse. Uh, that's his sire that can obviously uh, handle the distance. Um, and he's out of a scat daddy um, uh, dam uh, who is scat daddy was trained by Pletcher uh, back in his day and, and ran in the Derby. Uh so he's, you know, he's an interesting horse. Uh, I actually had him in my long shot column in the Buffalo News on Sunday as one of three long shots to consider. He's at 50 to one. Uh, but, you know, he's worth laying a couple bucks on, on to win just because, you know, if Johnny V can get him out front and, you know, take him around like a merry-go-round uh, like he did with Authentic, uh, who knows. So in an official sense, this is not Bob Baffert's horse this weekend, but from a philosophical sense and in the racing community, even though it's not, uh, he, he's it's not going to go in the record as a Bob Baffert race. Uh, if reincarnate were able to win, would this be accepted at least loosely as a Bob Baffert victory? Uh, not in the record books, <laughs> right? Maybe, maybe on uh, on the street corners of uh, Louisville. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, uh, I want to ask. There's a fascinating uh, horse out of Japan. Derma Sotagaki. And it, it, I don't know if this is going to be a more regular occurrence because of uh, the horses that uh, are backed uh, from Japan. And there's uh, there just seems to be a mysteriousness about this horse winning the UAE Derby and having success not in the United States yet. How do you handicap these horses? Obviously, there's a lot of statistics and, and things to look at, but how do you go about it? You have to look at the replays. Um, I actually watched the UAE Derby, you know, live on television. So I, I, I watched that race. Um, they're trying to get more, you know, horses. There's there's two qualifying um, horses, uh, race, races that they can qualify for. There's a different series of races, both in Japan and Europe. Uh, and they're trying to get a Japanese horse in and, you know, a European horse in. Uh, the European horses that won their races and f- finished on top t- declined to come over. 
the Japanese horse that won was actually Continuar that won and gained an automatic slot. So there was no points uh, that he earned. He just earned it based on winning that series of races. Um, Derma Sotogaki is actually qualified by winning the race with the points, the UAE Derby. So he, he earned his way in. He's an extremely fast horse. Um, I've watched him in the mornings because they have a morning's work show um, that comes out of Churchill Downs every morning between seven and eight. And he's just an odd horse. And, and the, the, the way the other day he was like flicking his head to the, to the side all the way down the track. And, you know, they did a gate work with him and then they basically stopped him. Um, so, you know, he was like ready to run. And so he was kind of fighting his jockey uh, or exercise rider while, uh, while he was being trained. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's hard. These horses that ship over that have won in Dubai, uh, none of them have ever hit the board. Uh, I think they're 0 for 18 or something like that <laughs> um, uh, in the race coming over here. So, you know, to me, until one of those horses wins the wins the race or hits the board, you know, I'm kind of kind of dismissing them, <laughs> and that's just my you know my view. There's there's people that are very high on this horse, um, and because of his speed, he's very fast. But you know, last year the horse that came out of the race, you know, you know, messed it all up because he went so fast early on. He 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 created a, a pace scenario that you know set it all up for rich strike. Rich, Rich Strike to come in, you know, cruising at the end and picking everybody off. Um, so, you know, will that will that happen this time? I don't, I don't think so. He's he's out of a, a horse that's uh, was actually a New York bred. Um, mind your biscuits. Uh, who great name? Uh, won at, yeah, one at uh, Royal Ascot. Uh, I did a feature on. Um, one of the owners of the horse is a UB grad uh, that owned Mind Your Biscuits, Dan Summers, who works for Naira. His brother, Chad, uh, trained the horse. I did a feature on him in the Breeders' Cups, you know, several, several years ago. But when that horse tried to go the longer distance in the, uh, in the Breeders' Cup, he didn't, uh, he didn't quite get there. Uh, so he, he won the, he won some sprints like at Royal Ascot. Uh, he won a, a sprints at, uh, uh, it, at the UAE, you know, carnival. Um, so he's, uh, he was more of a sprinter. Um, so he's one that, uh, you kind of look at and say, you know, is, is he going to, is he going to get the distance? His, it looks like his damn sire, you know, it, his winning distance is pretty long. Um, so, you know, he probably can get it, but again, you know, those horses historically have not done well at, in Louisville at Churchill Downs. So, you know whether they get spooked by the crowd too. You you just never know. What are you zeroing in on uh, as the race approaches? I guess maybe tease your column a little bit without giving it away, or hell, maybe you want to give away all your picks to uh, folks here on Tim Graham yeah, and Friends, I'm, brought to you I'm, by I'm, CTBK. But <laughs> what is coming into focus uh, for Gene Kirshner, uh, you know, legendary and talk. highly decorated horse racing columnist for the Buffalo News as we are uh, approaching the Kentucky Derby? Uh, obviously, Forte is, is a horse you got to consider that, you know, be a fun horse to key around, uh, not not necessarily in first, but you could key him in second or third, too, um, thinking that, you know, the horse is good enough that he's at least going to hit the board, and then you can bet around that. Um, 
there's a there's a couple of horses I've been I've been interested in. Uh, one based on his uh, morning workouts, uh, confidence gains. He's looked you know really really good in the morning. Uh, very sharp. Uh, the knock on him is he is that he's you know taking six weeks for off since his last race to run. Uh, so that's not an orthodox way to come into the Derby. Uh, so it gives me some a slight pause. Uh, but boy, he looks really good, and that always you know is something you got to consider of how he looks going into the race. There's another horse that just got into the race uh, last week. It was an unfortunate uh, uh, incident where uh, Wild on Ice, who we qualified, uh, you know, had uh, suffered a training injury and had to be euthanized on the track. Uh, which got Skinner into the race, a horse that was just just nipped out of the Santa Anita Derby by practical move uh, in Mandarin Hero. There was a three-way photo. Um, so he was right there. So, But sometimes, you know, those kind of horses get dismissed. You know, people look at the running line, say he came in third, you know, what's he going to do? But, I mean, it was like a hairline uh, that he got edged out. So, And he's a fast horse. Um, so I, I think he's got a shot. I put him in my long shots column. He's a 20 to one horse. Um, I think he got a pretty decent post, uh, in the race. Let me just check right here. Yeah. He's got the nine post, So he's in the middle. Uh, he's out of curling who obviously was a two time, you know, horse of the year, uh, who could handle the, uh, the longer distance out of a Malibu moon who sired orb, who was a, a, a derby winner. So, I mean, uh, that's a horse that I'm, you know, at 20 to one, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it, uh, out of the, out of the stakes winners that, you know, that won the, the last props, you know, the hundred point races there, the last few years, it's, it's been a horse other than rich strike that, uh, that has won one of those races that's going to end up being the winner of the Derby. So angel of empire is a horse that, um, won the Arkansas Derby very convincingly. He's looked impressive. Uh, he's out of classic empire, uh, Cox, that's the third Cox favorite is, at the moment, right? Yeah. He's the third favorite. He's at eight to one. So he's a decent, decent price. Flavian Pratt's won the Derby before he won in it via DQ the year of maximum securities, um, disqualification. Uh, so he, he's a horse to think, you know, that that's decent. He's got the pedigree to get there. Uh, he's looked impressive, uh, you know, coming into the race. He's looked good on the track in the morning. So, He's one that's in my mix, uh, my top three, I think, right now um, that I put in my degrees of separation column on Monday uh, was Skinner, Angel of Empire, and Forte, uh, and then maybe messing around with Confidence Game and, you know, Tampa Trice, because, uh, you know, those are horses that are, you know, can, um, you know, hit the board or, you know, be a factor uh, as, if they uh, get a good trip. Now, I know that you put together a lot of different tickets. Uh, you have fun with it. And, um, but uh, rather than get into all the different versions and permutations, what are the tickets that you will feel most comfortable with, uh, with making? I'll probably do, um, I'll probably do a trifecta with Forte in all three spots. So it's called keying him, uh, keying him a key box trifecta, and then put him in with like five, five different horses, five horses that I, you know, like some of the ones that I mentioned, like Angel of Empire, Skinner, Confidence Game. And then I'll I'll probably throw that that's three. So I'll probably throw two more in, maybe a closer, you know, that might just clunk up to third. Um I did that last year with Epicenter, you know, who was the who was the favorite. And it, it you know, I I had it all 
all different ways uh, without Rich Strike, right? So, um, you know, it's a good way to bet. And, you know, for a 50 cent key box trifecta with five horses, it costs 18 bucks. So it's not like, you know, you're not breaking the bank. It's a 20 spot, you know, to, you know, to make the bet. You know, I'll throw, I'll throw some, you know, it's, a, it's the one time where if you make a show bet on a long shot and he hits the board, you can, you can do pretty well, you know, making some money off of that. Uh, if you're a beginner or if you're just looking to uh, throw a five, five spot on a horse, that's a long shot, bet him to show uh, you're not, you know, you're not put, put it in all on that horse to win at, a, at long odds um, and you can still get a good price and make a few, make a few dollars. You know, and I'll do some exactus too, probably around, you know, whatever my top pick is, I'll box that horse with, you know, four or five horses that I, uh, that I like uh, throwing in some long shots. Forgive me for not knowing this about your reporting process, but and I don't, how much that you pay attention to the handle, um, any kind of analysis about how bets are being made. And the reason I ask this question is because of, rich strike last year at 80 to one winning everybody knows that betting on long shots is fun it's a popular thing to do uh it just adds to the excitement for obvious reasons but i wonder if there's any kind of and of course there's so so many more bets to be made but i wonder if there's any kind of analysis that shows that more long shot bets are being made this year because of what rich strike did uh a year well, ago well the indicator will be that there'll be no long shots at the end of the day. You'll right. see, every, you'll, you'll, <laughs> you'll see all of them around. If you see like the top prices around 35 or 40, then you know that, you know, people are just, they're taking the longest shot of the board and throwing, you know, five bucks, 10 bucks on them. And that's the, that'll be the difference. And I think I, I've talked to a number of people. We we're expecting that to happen. Um, you know, and whenever there's a horse with a name in it, you know, that, that tends to, uh, um, you know, generate a lot of betting interests that are just, you know, because it's a, it's just a hack. Right. So it's like, like my boy, Jack, I think, uh, I don't know how many years ago it was in the, in the, it's within the past 10 years was a, that was a popular that bet been, in the Graham household. Should have, should have been 25 to one, 30 to one. He was five to one at post time, which means there was somebody and maybe it was you because your son, Jack, you, you laid a, you know, a big, big bet on it that, to, to move the, uh, to move there the, are a lot of jacks in this world. Yeah. And so this year it's, there's a horse named two fills. So if there, if there's a lot of Phillips out there, um, we'll see some betting on, uh, on that. And then, you know, I think the Japanese horses will probably, you know, get some of that, you know, that money that that's out there. Sometimes we call it dumb money. <laughs> right. The fish that are out there because they're easy. Yeah, well, they're you just... know, betting, betting numbers and you know combinations. Now I'll I'll always bet you know my wife's birthday, so two two one eight seven six. I'm not going to tell you what combination those are, but uh... <laughs> uh, Gene, I I know that you're a big Bills fan, and I got to get your take on this before we uh, hit the break, and we're going to talk about the Bills draft uh, coming up here in a little bit. But your thoughts on how the Bills performed over the weekend uh, with their draft picks. You know, it's so hard to like, until it's three years down the road to say how, how well they did. But, you know, early indications were that we needed, you know, playmakers on offense. And uh, I think they, uh, I think they did that very well. We need to protect Josh Allen. So I think they got a couple guys that uh, are going to hit that. I think linebacker 
is still a big question mark. And I think, you know, a lot of people probably have that same, uh, that same feeling who's going to, who's going to be in the middle. Um, and it's an important position because it's the position that calls the defense and the playmaker on D. So, um, you know, there's still some time for him to to make some moves and see see what happens. But I I think you know. the answer uh, came to us regarding uh, what, how they view the linebacker position uh, with the fact that they didn't uh, really target that as a priority. That I think they're at least comfortable with Terrell Dodson or whoever else emerges uh, in training camp. And plus, they've already invested a lot of money at the linebacker position in Matt Milano. I think it's probably a good thing for Bills fans to to uh, not even though they wanted a linebacker and they needed or they, they coveted a replacement for Tremaine Edmonds um, flexibility with Josh Allen's contract kicking in. I don't know that you want too much money tied up at, at middle linebacker, but yeah, no, I think that, I think it was smart to let him go. Uh, Cause I think it, it, it was too big a number and it, it just wouldn't have fit some of the other things they want, they wanted to do, but you know, who am I? I'm a horse racing guy. And uh <laughs> basketball hack you go to you're at those games man uh yeah i mean how did uh how how did the basketball season treat you gene well pretty good i mean yeah. it's still going on with yeah. the nba anyway but i know yeah, you're you know, being I, the I, former I college the college, player i follow the college a lot more um you know kind of disappointing because i'm a syracuse guy so you know they they haven't really done much and you know now now that maybe Bayham's out of there they can um uh, do a little do a little bit more with Adrian Autry at, at, at the helm. I, I think he's a pretty good recruiter. Um, I'm, I met the new UB coach. He seems like a real nice guy and, you know, coming, comes out of a, uh, you know, a big program. Um, he's very intense. He's a type A, I can tell already he's a type A type, type guy. And uh, I think he'll be, I think he'll do good things. Um, at CTBK UB. is a sponsor of the UB program, correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We do right. So, all right. What is your so, thought as a backer, as a as a quasi booster? What was Gene Kirshner's opinion on the decision to move on from Jim Weitzel? I was aboard. I was on board with it. Mm. I, I, I had to, you know, played ball in college, and you know, I've coached a little bit, you know, outside of that. But I, I just thought he could never get the right mix of the guys on the floor, and then I don't think he was as good a recruiter. Um, of course, the portal messes up everything, but um, I, I, I think they were right to make the move. Um, it was time. Uh, he had his opportunities. He had the kids uh, that he could have, you know, done some damage with um, in Cleveland a couple times. Um, so I think it was time to move on. I like the fresh, the fresh blood, you know, that they brought in. And I think uh, even if it's a stepping stone, at least he can uh, maybe right the ship a little bit. So. All right. Good. I hadn't talked my, to you about it. I mean, we my two sons text about this, that, and the other, but I don't think I ever asked you about Weitzel. Yeah. All right. What last words of wisdom do you have about the Kentucky Derby? You gave us your picks. Is there anything else, anything to stay away from? How about that? Are there horses that you want to tell people um, don't waste your money on? No, nah, cause that that's the kiss of death. <laughs> right. <laughs> then here comes rich strike, right? You know, uh, <laughs> I would say go go take a look at my uh, uh, degrees of separation column from Monday, uh, where I do separate them and the ones that you know I, I say just aren't fast enough to get there. Um, there there's a number of them I think you can eliminate uh, in the race. Uh, 
I'm just not going to go on a limb because the horse will end up winning. And <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, that, that there's. You know, I'm just hoping that's for a no-win situation. Yeah, I, I'm just hoping for good weather because uh, you know it's hard. It's it's hard, and I, and I'm ready to go um, on Thursday if the, if it looks like there's something that the, the weather's going to turn because I think Friday's not going to be so nice. Uh, I usually put together a, a piece on you know who's who's going to handle the wet track. Um, okay. And, yeah, can you t maybe tease what's coming up here in your coverage leading up to the race in the Buffalo News? Yeah, so um, I will have a feature on Friday uh, to be determined. I usually like to see what happens, you know, on the backstretch on Thursday to see what kind of stories are on. You know, it would be there. silly not to gather as much information as possible before writing the final columns about the Kentucky Derby. Yep, absolutely, and then. Um, my advance uh, will go in on Saturday morning, uh, which will give my uh, top four selections and uh, some analysis based on uh, my discussions with some of the trainers on the on the backside on uh, Thursday morning. Uh, and then I'll do a recap on uh, on Saturday after the race uh, for Sunday's paper. Um, in the meantime, I'll have an Oaks handicap on uh, Friday, uh, which I was working on before I jumped on the call with you. Uh, and then I'll have the uh, some undercard races uh, on Saturday. I'll have an online column uh, with some picks and selections for the typically the four or five races leading up into the Derby. So you can, if if people are looking at you know trying to do a pick four, or pick five uh, into the Derby, you can uh, kind of see what my thoughts are on some of the uh, undercard races, which uh, have some pretty good horses in them. So Gene's picks here today, I don't think that he's just, uh, these are tentative. These are deeper than in pencil. I would say these are in ink. However, check the Buffalo News on Saturday to see what is in stone, uh, because they may change a little bit. But I think that if you're listening to Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants, you're probably in good shape already. But pick up the Buffalo News on Saturday uh, just to double check. Is that fair? Thanks, Tim. Yeah, that sounds good to me. All righty. Gene Kirshner, horse racing columnist for the Buffalo News. Thank you for joining us here on Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by your company. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara communities through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2022 to help keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400 and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. Welcome back to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. As promised, we're going to talk some Bill's draft, and we're joined again by Jonah Bronstein. He took the uh, the horse racing segment off. Religious off objections, I think. And uh, here is Josh Reed, sports director for WIVB Channel 4, the CBS affiliate in Buffalo. One of you know, I have a question for you. You know, I, I've got an answer. I'll make one up. And, we're, and you're going to the Kentucky Derby, which is great. Yeah, uh, and we're going to get to that. And we're going to also going to talk the Bills draft, which is why Josh is here. But something that popped into my head 
while listening and participating in the Zoom calls with the Bills draft picks, everybody introduces themselves as being from the call letters. Mm. Shouldn't you be telling these guys, like they don't know what WIVB is or Channel 4. Would it be better to say, I'm the sports director of the CBS affiliate here in Buffalo? And then they'll go, whoa, wait a minute, CBS. It is so funny that you say that. I, the first year that I was here, um, something along those lines popped up where we, we were actually in person. You know, obviously there wasn't the, all the Zooms that there is now, but something was in person and it was being broadcast live over the radio or whatever. And I said, hi, Josh Reed with the CBS station in Buffalo. And it was somebody who had not, played here and it was like a free agent or they were introducing somebody and i got so much crap for that from viewers from the office from local from viewers from local people who were like we know who just say wv uh, wivb right. keep it moving there buddy boy new guy on the block <laughs> and i'm like easy pal like i don't think they know what channel four is if they're not from here and w so needless to say, I have changed my approach. That guy bullied me into now just saying, hey, it was one guy. Gosh, it was actually a couple different people. And then I was like, look, I sorry, my bad. Are we not the CBS station in town? But yeah, it is kind of it is kind of interesting. And I've thought that. So and that has happened to me. So it is kind of weird because if you're a free agent or a rookie and you're like, hey, Channel four. They're like, oh, okay, next time I'm flipping through the channels, I'm sure I'll get to four at some point. That <laughs> <laughs> was just curiosity. I don't know. It's a strategy. I'm always thinking of those media strategies, you know, for when I get into my consulting business, when this writing thing doesn't work out. Um, so you're going to the Kentucky Derby for the first time. Yeah. When, no. uh, what's the, uh, what's the excitement level here? The very, list? very. Yeah, very, very high on the bucket list. Maybe number one, uh, if not number one, the only other one that would be kind of close, I think, would be if I could go to a major and watch, you know, if I could check out a major at uh, St. Andrews, that would be pretty sweet. Um, I'm big into traveling. So part of that would be getting a chance to to be over in Europe again, you know, being over in Scotland. That'd be, that'd be, that'd be awesome. That That's at the top. I, you know what, it's kind of, one that I've never done, Indy 500 I've never done. That'd be cool. Actually, I'd be a Daytona 500, I think, would be awesome, too. Um, a lot of people, got a lot of good people watching at the Daytona 500, I feel like. I've heard that the Indy 500 is some of the most debaucherous uh, stuff that can happen at a sporting event, right up there with the Kentucky Derby. Uh, oh, really? The things that happen uh, at the parties and in the infield and all the, you know, it is just crazy. Um, the only so, other one I went to was the one in Maryland. Um, and that was probably 20 years ago. The Preakness? Preakness. And I was in the infield. And let's just say I'm glad cell phones were not a thing back then. <laughs> because um, it was like Thunderdome. It was like Mad Max. Like it was, it was, holy smokes. It definitely is one of those moments where I'm like, oh, wow, that I'm glad that I survived that time. What did you see there, Josh? There was a lot of things I saw. Some things I'll never be able to unsee. Um, it was, 
it was it was um yeah i don't, I, I like your podcast i wanted you to be able to keep doing this so i won't go into detail we we get potty mouthed on here uh, on occasion <laughs> was, hey we've had lee smith as a guest so and, and we survived saw, there are no fcc say, regulations let's just say i i witnessed a couple enjoying themselves a lot oh. um right out in in the infield just right out there and it had a rather large group around them watching them. what's the sport of kings that happens it at those games it is the sport of kings and Jonah raises a good point. This also but, happens at Bill's tailgates. Oh yeah, that's I, as we all we're all inside the stadium at that time. So I don't. I, I have seen the videos though, as we all have. They they tend to make it to Twitter pretty quickly. What else is on the bucket list? Or um, yeah, well, let's start there. What else is on the bucket list? You mentioned Indy Five Hundred. Yeah, Daytona. Yeah, for me, it's, uh-huh. for me, there's an an Olympics. I've never been at an Olympics, but I would. It wouldn't just be any Olympics. Like I wouldn't want to go watch Olympic baseball or Olympic golf. I would want to be in the arena for track and field or for something very Olympicsy. Now we're talking not for work though, right? We're talking about just for personal going yeah. to, right? Sure. You know, I've never, I've never been to or covered a Final Four. And I, I like college basketball a lot. Nor have so I. I think you haven't either? No. That surprises me. You know, that's considered the easiest ticket to get for a like a major championship event. Oh, is it really? Because they're in football stadiums and just the supply demand. It's not super easy, but it's a raffle. People enter every year, and the, the average person can get to the Final Four a lot easier than the Super Bowl or really anything comparable to that. Yeah, that would be... Yeah, that would be that would be up there. A Final Four, I think, it would be really cool to go see, especially if you had a bunch of blue bloods in there. You know, I, I get it. I know the Cinderella story is kind of fun and all, but you know, give me North Carolina, Duke, Kansas, and you know UCLA. You know, all at the top. You know, I'd take that. But yeah, give yeah, me you five. want the heavyweight matchup. You don't want right? some guy who happened to you know score an upset, and all of a sudden he's earned a right to to fight the champ and to lose by forty. Hey, right. where you you were a boxing guy. You still are a boxing guy, but that's another thing I've never I've never been to like a heavyweight title bout. And I know the names aren't as big as they used to be, but that to me would have topped all of them. If I could go back in time and to have seen Mike Tyson fight, you know, obviously Muhammad Ali was before my time, but if I could have gone back and watched sat ringside or anywhere really and be able to see Tyson fight that would have been incredible for me that's the score to beat uh, the electricity of uh, of a major boxing match and it doesn't even have to be heavyweights but I was in Vegas at the time of Tyson's comeback when he got out of prison and also would be the ascendancy of Oscar De La Hoya so I covered all of De La Hoya's fights all of Tyson's fights with the exception of if they if they went to Europe or something like that, but um, who was the best interview? Who out of the boxing, the boxing side of things? Oh Christ, they're all great. Um, yeah, because they're all self promoters, right? I mean, there's a self promotion aspect to it too, but they also don't. They have publicists, but they're not polished. You know, the publicist might help guide them to 
setting up an interview, but they don't sit in with them or coach them on what to say. You don't know what's going to come out of their mouths. And these are people who've lived hard lives yeah, and they have interesting stories and they're generally proud of their backstory. Um, like they're not ashamed of it. It's like, I came from shit and I'm going to tell you about it. And, uh, or maybe, uh, you know, they got themselves into some trouble, which happens quite a bit. Um, they talk about that stuff uh, pretty freely. Um, there isn't a corporation or a league that has a bunch of suits in between you and the, the, the fighter to, to um, purify his story or to take out all the stuff that, no, no we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to know when you're sitting down with them, it's anything goes and they're pretty, uh, pretty open about that. So um, although Dilo Hoy was pretty sanitized, <clears throat> you know, he yeah. was, um, he wasn't a great interview because he was of the corporate, you know, he was such a star even before he turned pro coming through the Olympics. Ray Leonard had a similar vibe to him like that. Um, but that those were rare. Those are rare. Yeah. There are many more Marvin Hagler types than there are Ray Leonard or De La Hoya types. And um, yeah, but that, but I've also never covered an Olympics, you know, the hundred, the hundred meters at the Olympics has to be electric. Um, I've never covered a Kentucky Derby or been, I've been to Churchill Downs, but never been at a Kentucky Derby. So I can't say that boxing is the most electrifying, but inherently, even without the big names, there's that risk that it could end at any time. So it is not, there's no time, you know, obviously the, the rounds are timed and you have three minutes and 12 rounds for a championship, but the thing could end in 60 seconds. It could end in, in round five. You don't know. And you have to, and you're glued to it. And it's, uh, so it, it's, or Did game seven of the Stanley cup finals. I mean, oh, something like yeah. that's gotta be crazy. Yeah. Game sevens are always now. Are you, did you transition to the MMA? Like, did you, cause I know that you're a big boxing person. I know a lot of people kind of made that transition when the MMA became very popular. I, I've never, I've always much preferred boxing over MMA. I just, well, I don't even like boxing. Some of that, just, some of that was just a little too brutal for me. But Not no, that. it was just the timing of it just wasn't there for me. So when I started covering the NFL in 2007, I had no time to even think about other stuff. I went down to Miami and I was new and I was competing against two other newspapers and a bunch of other stuff. And my head was swimming and I just couldn't cover boxing like I had before. And so I lost touch with it. And that was when MMA, it had already become popular prior to 2007, but that's when it really was starting to hit into overdrive uh, with the Fertitas and, and Dana White taking over UFC and so, yeah, I, I'm not against it. There are a lot of people who are boxing reporters who hated it and thought it was beneath them. And I'm like, you cover boxing. I mean, <laughs> right. you sit at ringside and you're going to you have blood in your coffee. You know, there's you know, there's splatters on your laptop. I mean, the, these people are degenerates and uh, and so are you uh, to an extent. And I'm speaking third. I mean, yeah. yes. Uh, yeah, you take part. In all you, It's. So what? In fact, MMA or at least UFC is 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 nicer in many ways because it is a corporate uh, entity, and there are court. You know, unlike boxing, you just don't have a lot of the you know the the, the darker corners don't exist in MMA like they do in boxing. But blood that's, in your that's coffee what makes boxing fun. Blood in your coffee would be the a great name of a book if you're writing one as a bo as a boxing like writer. 
blood in your coffee. That's good. Jonah, blood what's your score to beat? What's the, what's the most exciting thing you've covered or an event? Oh, it probably have to be Section 6 crossover championship game. But I don't know. Uh, for right, a different right. reason, the Buffalo alumni team winning the TBT tournament last year wasn't yeah. that big of an event, That's but cool. watching a local team actually win and it was on national television on ESPN and kind of be in courtside for that live was a bit of a thrill. Maybe that's just because it happened so recently, but yeah. NCAA tournament through covered. Buffalo, but with the stakes pretty not as high in those first, in those opening rounds, those are fun, but I'm sorry, Josh, what was that? No, it's okay. My favorite thing I covered along those lines, not, not like bucket list thing, but favorite thing that I covered it was awesome. I was I covered the Phillies run to the World Series, and when they won their first NLCS, I was actually because I worked in I worked in Pennsylvania, so you know we were covering them a lot. Obviously, a lot of Phillies fans and everything. So I was there, and I was kind of you know down in the clubhouse and everything, and you know back cell phone. I had the video, I have pictures and everything, and it's like Shane Victorino with like champagne just spraying it all over. The reporters are just getting soaked and we're trying to get interviews and, but it was so, it was just fun. It was like, Oh my, like you could just, the room was so happy. Like the, the, it's hard to recreate that kind of happiness that those guys feel. And you're like, this is really cool. This is what, like, these guys are grownups, right? These guys are grownups and look how happy they are. They, all they did was win a kid's game, but they're so happy. So that was one of the funnest kind of scenarios I've been around that in, um, when UB basketball, Nate Oates, and those guys won a couple of, uh, tournament games to advance. That was fun because Nate was a fun coach to cover and, you know, really media friendly as far as just would always kind of give you the ingredients to the to the recipe and you'd go, I'm not used to this. So right. those those are two fun things. Well, and especially like a MAC championship, you win, you're in the tournament, you lose, you're not in the tournament. Those kind of stakes don't happen very often. So maybe that's not a big bucket list event. But when you're there witnessing something like that, even as a fan or covering it, you remember that, I think, forever. Mm-hmm. And Tim will laugh at this, but one of the most memorable sporting events I've ever attended is baby Joe Macy fighting downtown in the arena and the buzz and how much- I wouldn't laugh at that. I just said, I mean, it's for the whole thing. I mean, it's the drama is it's tough to beat in boxing uh, right, because right. you don't know what's going to happen. Anything could happen in either way, you know? So he obviously starches Devera Williamson, one of the greatest nicknames of all time. This is before you got to Buffalo, but Joe Macy fought Devera touch of sleep Williamson. Wow. Baby Joe versus touch of sleep touch of sleep and he made him go to sleep quickly Tim, tim's not allowed to call him baby joe the the buffalo news had a rule i i can but the buffalo news had a rule at the time is that he could never be referred to as baby joe unless it was in a quote because the nickname or whatever i think that we had an editor that kind of got sick of the nickname they're like it doesn't make any sense <laughs> he's not a baby he's a <laughs> right. man he's got a beard right <laughs> and plus he has a great headline name he it, it's it's seven characters and one of them's an eye which is nice and thin so joe macy you can put in a headline or just macy why bog it down with baby joe you're 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 wasting space um so josh let's talk about this bill's draft let's do um it. not the most exciting event to cover in fact it's one of the dullest 
events of yeah. the year. I'm speaking for myself here. I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but Jonah was there. Josh was there. I was there for one of the nights. And you're sitting around, especially on Thursday night, waiting for something to happen. You know the Bills are going to draft late. You're up against deadline or the 11 o'clock news uh, in your A block or what you're going to hit, and you're just tapping your pencil. Uh, and that is not a euphemism, literally tapping pencils. Not, I'm, I don't mean something else. Uh, although I wasn't home on Thursday night or I wasn't at the, at the draft. I was home on Thursday night. So anyway, I digress. Tell us about your draft experience, Josh. It, and um, Jonah too. You were there all three days. It, it, it's a Jonah will tell you, it is a long three days. Like it's, it's a lot of hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. You know, we do the early newscast going into like draft coverage, you know, at five and six. So then it's like, okay, this is what we're talking about. And you preview it as you have been for a month leading up to it. And then it starts. And just the 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 between picks is so long. Or how about when the first trade is made, which in this case was the second pick. Yep. You can go ahead and destroy your mock draft. All yeah. these mock drafts that you've been looking at and fiddling with and getting deep using as your content from February to the end of April and they are now useless. Yeah. It, it, well, they were they're pretty much useless when they're fresh, but yes. But it's it, it fills the space whether it be in the paper or on this podcast or on a television it fills the space. It, it, it is content and people like it. It's not like we're forcing it down no. their throats. Like everyone people, does one. Everyone does a mock draft anymore. It's just, and several, I've never done people, one. No, Next not a, with the exception of participating in channel fours, uh, Buffalo no, kickoff live. So you have done one. You but have I, participated. No, I've participated no. in a mock draft. I've never done a mock draft. No, erroneous. Right. That count. That counts. I didn't do all the picks. I just wait until you tell me when I'm picking and I'll throw, I'll pick a name. I'm not doing all 32 or this year, Jonah, 31. Chime in here, Jonah. No, I think you've, you've participated in the mock draft industrial complex to some extent. Great. Are you That's true. to be mock draft pure? I can't say that I've never done a mock draft. Is that incorrect? You can't claim your purity from mock drafts. <laughs> and I don't think like Josh says, I don't think anybody can. I've gotten away from, I mean, I, I haven't done one in many years and try not to put my brain in that space for about four months straight like people do. But you get to that week of the draft and you kind of can't help reading everybody else's mock drafts and starting to put it together in your head and thinking about how things will play out for whatever team you're covering or rooting for or watching on behalf of. Well, I even made a point uh, in the studio when we were uh, doing our uh, Wednesday night show, our draft preview, and we were talking uh, just in, well, not everybody, certainly not, not me, but Thad Brown and Matt Perino are speaking in encyclopedic terms about all these draft picks because they've been living it for three months. And I marvel at it because there's a very small percentage chance that you're ever going to cover this, these guys that you know so much about, no, which I guess that's not point. a flaw. It's not a flaw to be informed on what's going on in the NFL and to know these guys. And, uh, but still uh, to me, I just can't, it, I can't commit myself to something that will not be of any use to me in, in a, in, in a couple of weeks. You talk about an exercise in futility. We go to the NFL scouting combine every year, right? Spend yeah. a week there. We interview 
between 40 and 50 different prospects. We come back. There's usually a dozen of them that you just throw to the side and go, there's no sound here from any of these guys. Then you pare it down to, hey, here's 30 guys. There's a chance the Bills could take. Osiris Torrance was the only one that the Bills took that we interviewed there. That was it. That was it. And that's considered to be okay because he was such a high, you know, he was a high draft pick. So it was okay. Here, here was the bummer. We also interviewed Dalton Kincaid while we were there. We got back and I watched the sound for the, it was three minutes of an interview and it was so bad. I went, this is, there's nothing. There's like nothing here. So we didn't do him. And, I, and then I go back and I go, oh, Dalton Kincaid. But do you remember do you why still it was have so it? bad? It was, some of it was because, um, so they bring up a herd of the prospects to the podiums. So you kind of have to pick, okay, here are the eight guys at the podium. They're roughly up here for a total of 15 minutes. So you usually get two of the guys that are at the podium at a time before the next they leave and the next group comes up. So it's like, okay, who can we get? We ended up sitting at the first guy that we got a little longer. I forget who it was. I think it was because they were they were good and like they were definitely a possibility for the Bills. I think we stayed there a little longer and then we left. And by the time we got to Dalton and got set up, started rolling, we got three minutes and it was kind of toward the end. And what you got were some of the um, hey, you know, who do you think's gonna be the next good Utah tight end coming up through? Mm. So now he's answering questions about his old school and not about, Hey, what do you do? That's going to translate. So yeah, we did interview. Hey, who's both. your agent? All these things that are easily yes. researched online and people start asking, Hey, have you met with the jets? And yeah. it's like, it just takes up time just to get yeah. your, yeah. I see that you play video games. Are you an Xbox guy or a PlayStation guy? And I'm going, I mean, I get it. I mean, there are some, there are some spaces where that stuff is good and fine and all, but that's not stuff that we're going to use. And unfortunately, that one didn't never made it to the air. What you got to do is every one of these guys, you ask them ranch or blue cheese, and then you got a boilerplate sound bites they use whenever right. you need it. Right. And that way, Bills fans can 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 immediately have an opinion of that draft pick based on just that, just that alone. And it's probably going to be negative because I think outside of this concentrated area, not just Western New York, well, I grew up in Cleveland and it was ranch. I mean, Buffalo Wild Wings began in Buffalo and it, it, that they would, their default is ranch, right? Yep. I think that most guys would answer ranch if they didn't know, like, unless somebody gave them like, Hey, there's a Buffalo station. That's going to ask you ranch or blue cheese. You better say blue cheese. I I would argue that, 95% 95% of the people outside of New York state would answer ranch over blue cheese. 95%. I would go that high. I, I can tell you right now in Ohio, growing up in Northeast Ohio, people were blown away when I told them to start using blue cheese. They're like, yeah, come on, come on. You're ranch. a Kent Stater. Did yeah. you go to BW3s? Of course. And it was ranch. Buffalo Wild Wings and Weck. The original Buffalo Wild Wings was called BW3s. It was in Kent, Ohio, mm-hmm. on Water Street. Yep. That sound right? Yeah, Water Street. I've been in the state, my man. 
I, I was like there it. a couple of times. I've been there. My brother and sister both went to Kent State. Yeah. I worked at the newspaper in Kent, Ohio, the record courier. I covered sure. Kent State sports. Yeah. And um, by the way, here's a, a little aside. I talked to Julian Edelman once about uh, playing at Kent State. And uh, I asked him what he, you, you know, it, it, the name of the stadium is Dick's Stadium. Not anymore, I don't think, but at the time. And the Dick's family, D-I-X, was the publisher of the paper where I worked. And uh, he was talking about playing in Kent and he, there were a lot of microphones around him uh, from the new England media. And one his quote, which was used, although I don't know if it made it onto the air was I love dicks. Yeah. Gotta be careful. Gotta be careful. Yeah. That's. It was a long windup to a very short I'm joke. I'm ass, I'm ass, <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> I'm assuming he was, you know, that you say that didn't make it on air. That surprises me. That surprises me that local TV stations didn't run that. I love dicks. Yeah, I don't think that. Well, well there's a sporting good change named after it. Yeah, but, and mean, a resort. Not and really. Last, not no, and not named after resort. the Dicks family, but hmm? I'm sorry, Josh, you said. And a, and a last resort named after it. Right. Dicks last resort. Um, If you've been. What's your favorite? I've never been inside one just because like, all right, we get it. They're all you, all the puns. Yeah. I've had a few of them here myself there. It's like, Oh, come on. Do I need to go into Dick's last resort? It's like the anti Hooters, I guess. It's just going to be a bunch of schlong references all over the place. Yeah. It's yeah. It's and the food's not very good. Fun. If you're 15. Sure. First time you ever go into something like that. It was a great time. What are your uh, thoughts on this uh, Bills draft class? Um, I like it. I, I do. I, 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 the Dalton Kincaid thing. Um, I, I feel like I, I don't know how many of the receivers they had ranked maybe above Kincaid as far as just pass catchers go. I was crazy because we're sitting there and you see the receivers just the whole group of them continue to fall down and down and down. It's like, oh wow, they're going to get one of these receivers. And then I. I don't remember this ever happening where four straight at one position like that went just bang, 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 bang. I mean, I was just like, wow. Okay. Well now they're all gone. Um, so yeah, I think it's, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Ken Dorsey to make it work. Right. I mean, he's going to figure out a way. I mean, they didn't use this first round draft pick on a guy who plays 20% of the snaps. They've got to find a way to be creative and get him out on the field and let him make plays. Um, He's not going to be working in behind Dawson Knox. No, no. He I and Dawson Knox are going to be on the field at the same time. hundred Not always, but frequently. Yeah, yeah I, I think that – I think it would be – as long as he stays healthy, of course. I think a fair maybe um, hope for him if you're a Bills fan, and I think realistic – would be, you know, that he finishes maybe fourth in targets. I mean, he's not going to get more targets than Diggs, right? He's not going to get – Gabe Davis is going to end up with more targets. And then maybe Knox. But, I mean – Maybe okay. not, Josh. Maybe he gets the second most targets. I mean, what maybe. if he's what if he's just go-to and uh, we're going to – like a Tyler Hawkinson type, you know, and it hasn't yeah. always been that way for Hawkinson, but in uh, some systems and when he got traded to Minnesota, it was like, all right, giddy up, let's go. We got to tie yeah. down. Yeah, I mean, if that happens, then 
I think Bill's fans are going to be elated, right? I mean, I think they'll be like, wow, that was definitely worth it because he's going to be that involved. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Osiris Torrance is the pick that I love. I mean, if they would have taken him at 27, I would have been like, Bill's got Bill's got that one right. I just think he is he is a monster, you know, size-wise, um, you know, addressing the media. He was incredible. Um, not only at the combine where we had a chance to talk to him there, but then when he comes up here to the Bills facility, run blocking, pass blocking, about as good as there is in the country. And he did it in the SEC. You know, how often do we hear Brandon Bean just readily admit, look, some of these guys are just more prepared to play at the NFL because they're playing in the SEC. And every week they're playing against the guy who's probably going to go in the top round or second round of the, the NFL draft. And that's what he did. He faced those guys on a week to week basis at Florida. Um, and obviously did more than just hold up, you know, dominated some of those guys. Most of those guys did a lot of sack. Like, I don't know how that happens. I don't know how you don't allow a sack in it. And they had a quarterback, you know, Anthony Richardson, who went fourth, was it fourth overall to the Colts? I think it was fourth um, to the Colts, who is a guy who scrambles a lot, right? So I he mean, was only to... sacked 13 times last season. So there's not a lot of blame to go around in terms of sack and volume anyway. But you're, you're right. He, yeah, for so, his entire career. Yeah. So which no which argument, I guess, which argument do you make? Do you make it that he escapes some of that pressure and he eludes it? Or you could make it that sometimes it's harder to protect for those guys because you don't know where the hell they are on the field. You know, you start to pass protect, you find out he was right behind you. Now he's over here. Now he's back behind you again. And you still got to hold your block, right? So I don't know. I guess it depends on if you're the lineman, you would say, well, it's a lot harder to do. But I'm sure if you're the quarterback, you're like, well, I got you out of several sacks because I'm elusive. But and I'm I sure just, that he didn't have an Anthony Richardson-style quarterback, I don't want to say style, but at least in terms of caliber, at Louisiana Lafayette before he transferred into Florida. So, yeah, it's not just last year he didn't give up a sack. He didn't give up a sack his entire career. His entire career, which I, I 59th think... 59th overall. A steal there, I think, to get the best guard in I, in the... what well, it was projected at anyway to be the best guard in the entire draft. I want to say, correct myself, it's TJ Hawkinson, uh, not Tyler Hawkinson, I think I was uh, getting confused with Tyler Eifert, um, another also, comparable for uh, also Dalton a tight end. Also a tight end. Not a comparable. I was being facetious about. Let's hope he's not well, a Tyler Eifert. Yeah, that would not be great. Um, but yeah, I, Jonah, you I, were there covering them all. What was your favorite pick? All right, how I about mean, this? Not of the first two. Where well, let's 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 make it uh, let's let's increase the degree of difficulty outside of Kincaid and Torrance. What was your favorite pick? I mean, Justin Shorter has an interesting profile in terms of his size and speed, and I'm not so sure he's going to work his way into being a you know a long term starter at the position. But he gives the Bills something that they they needed you know, a big target that could also stretch the field and get downfield maybe a little bit faster than Gabe Davis. It, I don't expect him to be an impact player maybe for this team, but he was the number one recruit coming out of his high school class years ago and didn't have a great college career, but played at big-time colleges, also played at Florida. He seems like an NFL player with an NFL body and NFL potential. If the Bills can coach him up a little bit, I think that could end up being a pick 
years down the line and say, wow, they got him in the fifth round. That's a pretty good pick. Yeah, I think uh, it's, uh, Bills fans need to be careful when they see a photo of this guy. Uh, and he looks great. You know, he's got all the – he's cut. And you get excited. But let's remember, this is a wide receiver drafted in the fifth round. Khalil Shakir was drafted in the fifth round last year and had trouble getting on the field. Here's another guy who has hamstring issues, fifth round pick. Uh, Brandon Bean's already talking about him just getting a jersey and being on special teams. I don't think that we should be getting too excited about him yet, but I think Jonah's nailed it there. I think from a development standpoint, if you if you can have patience with Shorter, then I think that's when you'll you'll see some dividends. But 2023, hell, it's it's tough for first round picks as receivers to contribute as rookies. Well, you um, bring up Shakir in, in that regard. I think. Bills fans should temper their expectations for all of the picks. I mean, Torrance looks like the most likely off-the-bus starter, as Rex Ryan would call him, of the bunch. Even Kincaid, I think, to expect a rookie tight end to come in and be the second or third, to be the big slot receiver, or like you mentioned, second on the team in targets, or the second most dangerous threat to opposing defenses is a lot to ask. And the hit rate on first-rate tight ends isn't, first-round tight ends isn't, you know, anywhere close to 100%. Every year there's a, a can't-miss prospect at tight end that suddenly misses. The Bills had one on the team last year for a little while, and O.J. Howard, he was supposed to be, you know, a great tight end for Tampa Bay and never really developed. I think Dalton Kincaid's going to be a good player, but I'm more, if I'm analyzing the Bills and the impact on this season from a draft class, I'm looking a lot more at last year's draft class and in their second year not being rookies anymore. A guy like Khalil Shakur might fill a role – I think more unexpectedly than Dalton Kincaid and be a third or fourth most targeted player, even if he didn't look to be that type of contributor last year as a rookie. Yeah. To your point, Kyrie Elam, I think is that guy. I, or James I, Cook. I mean, they have actually a bunch of guys in that class that could Terrell yeah, Brand, Terrell Bernard. Yeah. I think, I think Kyrie Elam, I mean, it's, it's a little disappointing that he wasn't able to beat out Dane Jackson for that job. I get it. Look, you got to learn, you got to go through your bumps and bruises and stuff, but you, you gotta believe the pressure's on him to win that job right out of training camp and to be the starter on the opposite side of Tredavious white, because I mean, your first round draft pick, you should be, you should be starting at, at the end of the day. I mean, it, that should be, I, I think it's impressive though, that what we talked about a little bit, kind of mentioned it, but I think I think it, it's hard to criticize a draft class a whole lot when you're drafting where the Bills did, you know, so far down in round one and down in round two. If you walk away with arguably, and I think most would say, the top player at their position, right? There seemed to be a a differing opinion at tight end between Dalton Kincaid and Michael Mayer. Yeah, but but they but the Bills but had Kincaid their was, yeah, right? and I think it was pretty obvious that the Cowboys were not too happy that the Bills leapfrogged them because uh, they looked a little confused as to what to do after the Bills took Dalton Kincaid. They needed a replacement for Jordan Schultz. Kincaid, I think, was their man, and they end up going with a totally different position. So, um, at least two teams that were really looking at tight ends felt Dalton Kincaid was the best in this year's draft, and. I'm going to side with them over I over a draft nick, you know. I agree. I, I think you know to get him, and then coming back with Osiris Torrance, who I think a lot of people thought was the best guard in the draft class, 
I think you walk away with just those two, you know, and everything else, I think Dorian Williams, we'll see. I mean, that's, that's the one that I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to think because I, I, to be honest with you, I only watched like every other two lane game this year. I mean, I, I, I only I'm watched not, the home games. I mean, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I watched a ton of film on Dorian Williams. I haven't. In fact, the first time I see him will be at rookie minicamp. And I'll be like, okay, let's check this guy out. Let's see if he's good. Let's see if he's not good. And even then we won't know. It's rookie minicamp. Who's going to know? I mean, we might not know the first season if he's any good. But I might not know until November. The thing is, is like, we we were all here when they drafted Matt Milano. Everybody was like, this guy is just too big to be a safety and too small to be a linebacker. He's never going to figure it out. What a bust. He plays bigger than his size. He's always hurt. Right. Not it's, it's bad pick. You know, he wasn't even a star at Boston College. What's he gonna do in the league? It's like now he's one of the best outside linebackers in the NFL. So it's just that's the other thing. People people think because look, and I get it, it's great to talk about, it's great fodder, it's it's awesome. It you know keeps us all having subject matter to to talk about leading up to the draft. We don't know. We look just, you know, even the people who watch tape and break it down and stuff, you don't know more than the people inside of an NFL building. <laughs> That's literally what they do for a living. I painted houses for 10 years. I'm not Picasso. It doesn't, I, I don't, you know, it's that look, you're not, you're not them. Like they, like that is specifically what they do. And obviously they don't get them all right. They miss as many first rounders is they get fifth rounders right. It's it's an inexact science or the same team would win the Super Bowl every single year and would never need to sign a free agent. So, I don't know, before I I thought Tim Couch was going to be a sure fire Hall of Famer, right? There's no doubt. The Bills took Josh Allen and I went, Josh Rosen might might have been a better pick there. I don't what the hell do I know? I don't know. It's it, it's everybody's best guess, and it's and not even players. Don't always know. I mean, they they'll even admit that they, you know, there's some guessing involved, and you see it just in the list of you know nobody goes seven for seven on their picks. And when a team like the Bills either drafts or signs four offensive guards, or they now have three draft picks at linebacker and, and Terrell Dotson, a lot of young linebackers they're looking for competition because they're trying to figure out. They're not sure. sure which of those guys is going to be the long-term yep. answer, so they're trying to play the numbers game and hope that one of them pans out. Josh, thanks for doing this. Hey, Anything else you want to talk been about been before you go? Uh, I'm trying to think. Anything else going on? Who, in, who are your picks who, for the Kentucky Derby? Is it too early to No, here's the yet? thing. You know, I really got to have it. to listen to Gene Kirshner on the first part of the segment. Once we post the podcast, Josh can go back and listen to my interview with Gene Kirshner and yeah. be smarter about it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to the, the pod. I'm going to get there. I, I got to get there. I got to get the wind swirling. I take a, a sifter. I take the dirt and I sift it around my nose like like such, and uh, then I go number seven's my favorite number, so I'm going to take that horse. I like this one because my aunt's name is that, and she was an okay lady. She was not that mean to me, so I'll take that horse. 
And, you know, that one's got four legs and doesn't look like it's going to be glue stick next week. So I'll take those three, wrap them up in a nice little trifecta. That's not a guarantee uh, around Churchill Downs over the past week. Oh, by the way, has it been bad? Uh, I think four horses have been put down this week. uh, That's our favorite number, four. The four horsemen. That's that's not good. That that makes me sad. So have fun down there, Josh. <laughs> Man, watching thanks. these animals do thanks. your bidding. Thanks, dude. Thanks for thanks for ruining it for me, guy. <laughs> Josh, thanks for doing this. Hey, guys. Um, every time you're on, I think we got to do it more often. But then I I see that we've been at it for almost an hour, and I'm like, he doesn't have time for this shit. Yeah, you know I like shooting the breeze with you guys, whether it's with a cold one or not, preferably a cold one, maybe next time with a cold one. I think that's pr- the chances are high. Yeah, I, I like it. All right, Josh Reed from Channel 4. He's the front, That's the CBS affiliate, by the way. That is. Hi, Josh Reed, uh, CBS Sports uh, affiliate in Buffalo. Say Channel Four, you idiot! Say WIVB. No one, no one needs to hear that. You got it better than I do. I tell people I write for the Channel Four website, and they're like, "Hey, what channel is your website? You know what? What (laughs) what number?" (laughs) You're like, "It's the World Wide Web, fella." Yeah, yeah. Just you'll find it. You'll find it. (laughs) You'll find it. I interviewed Faye Vincent last week, and all throughout, uh, he's using uh, my my own boss as an example, or my company as an example, because he's trying to talk about labor issues. And so he's like, so let's say uh, Tim Graham from the Atlantic uh, has a situation. And I'm like, I just, I'm like, he's 83. I'm not going to correct him. But he thinks he's talking to the Atlantic. He's talking to the Atlantic. That's fine. That's right. Maybe in his I just want to send him a clip and and, and uh, hurt his feelings. He'd be like, oh, shit. I was talking to the Athletic? Hell, I wouldn't have picked up on that bastard. All right. Enjoy Louisville. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks to everybody out there for uh, watching slash listening to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. We'll